Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Game Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics that get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are John Christian, Troy Sandlin, and Catherine Lindquist. Everyone say hey or hi or hello. Hey, hey. Hey, hi. Hey, hello. hi, hello. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and break down how these podcasts are going to work. There will be three courses, an appetizer, a main course, and a dessert. Each one tackles a different angle on the world of RPGs, and we'll cover exactly what those angles are when we get to each segment. You guys ready? Ready. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Is, is John Jamie the Diggy Diggy Hole over there? I think oh, so. Jamie the Diggy Diggy Hole. Listen, that me? was last week. Yeah. And now he's enough. I'm still <laughs> listening to it. Yeah. He's dancing. Oh my gosh. He's chair all right, dancing. All right. What's our first appetizer? Let's do this. Thank you. All right. Appetizers. This is our community pool segment. Uh, these are new items from around the community, and we have some good ones for you today, folks. Uh, we have two Kickstarters that we're really excited about, and then uh, Troy has some DMs Guild material to to shout to the world. Um, so let's, let's do the Kickstarters real quick here. Um, the first one... Uh, is not launched as of this recording, but will be launched by the time this airs. Uh, it launches on May 15th. Um, it is by a dice vault company called Talon and Claw. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, Etsy, and down in the show notes. Um, and they are doing a whiskey barrel dice vaults Kickstarter. Ooh. Nice. And I will say that their stuff is top notch. Um, Thomas, uh, a host of mine on another show, uh, was able to play some games with these guys. Really nice guys. Um, Delightful to be around. Um, And we saw their product on Etsy and we're like, man, we got to get some of that. And then we started chit chatting with them and they're like, hey, we've got a Kickstarter coming up, don't you know? Um, And so we said, we are going to help you promote this because it's a cool bunch of guys that are really awesome and it's a cool company and who doesn't want a whiskey barrel dice vault right Super cool. um the they are also um tied up with um smugglers coffee who do all that like awesome nerd um themed uh coffee brews from star wars and and um uh D and all sorts of different uh uh iterations so I know we're going to have an awesome Kickstarter, and I cannot wait for the 15th of May. <clears throat> so, Sweet. Kickstarter number one. Kickstarter number two is coming at the end of May. Uh, we're, it looks to be about a May 31st launch. Um, David Barentine, our friend um, that we had on here several weeks ago, is coming out with a new Kickstarter called The Player's Guide to Orient. Uh, his, his last campaign, Knights of the Shadow Realm, Really big success. He had a lot of fun with it. We had a lot of fun with it. Um, as part of that campaign, he unlocked a um, a PDF called Knights of the Sh- or Player's Guide to Orient. And basically, what he decided to do was take all of the player options from his campaign world and all the campaign setting information from his campaign world and lump it all together in a non spoiler package and make Sweet. a basically a zine out of it. Um, That's nice. Yeah, so you already, if you back the other Kickstarter, you're already getting this for free as a PDF, but he had a lot of requests from people saying, can we get prints of this that I can hand out at my table? Absolutely, that's what this is about. Um, And he, his goal with this is to keep the price as low as possible per unit, so that if you want all of your group to go in and buy one, it's not going to break your bank. You could each, you know, each one of your players could buy one and it's going to cost a few bucks. And now they have a resource material to build characters in this world. And if they want to look up the world map or if they want to look up what this city is like or yada, 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 all of that stuff is at their fingertips and they don't have to bug you the DM about it. So cool. really cool idea. Really excited for him. Um, it's only going to be a few weeks long. So keep your eye on it. Um, and, and, uh, I think it's going to be a really fun product. And if you didn't back the other Kickstarter, it's still going to have a ton of really interesting player options. He's got what I call a wild magic rogue um, as part of the uh, creation. It's called a chaos rogue. Um, I like it Sounds already. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so there's some Is cool Is there any stuff. other kind? 
Well, that's fair. Well, this one's <laughs> named a Chaos Rogue, so. <laughs> um, anyhow, check that out. Uh, that's our two Kickstarters. Troy, tell us what you got. Yes, sir. Well, my my man MT Black has mm-hmm. uh, has dropped a couple a uh, couple new products on the DMs Guild. Uh, first of which is Morden Kanan's Tome of Marvelous Magic Two. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's got all kinds of uh, magic items in this one. Um, you're looking at 150 rings, rods, staves, wands, and potions. Wow. Yeah, That's and I awesome. mean, if 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 you're familiar with MT Black's work, um, and all the people that he you know collaborates with, uh, the, his his stuff is just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, the artwork is is fantastic. All his ideas are just you know a lot of fun. And then another one that uh, I found incredibly interesting: Elminster's Candlekeep Companion. Now the reason why this is so interesting, he 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 worked with several people on this one, and and one of which to me is very important. Mm-hmm. That is Ed Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Ed Greenwood, uh, you know, put his his stamp of approval on on this product, and I mean, it's, if you ever want to know anything about Candlekeep, this this is the one to buy, and. If, if you if you look at the map on the on the DMs Guild uh, uh, listing for it, that in and of itself is worth it right there. You have a map of Candlekeep by Marco Bernardini. It's a really good map. It is a fantastic map, and it's got it's got stuff for uh, bards, clerics, monks, wizards, uh, an overview, the library itself. You know the different. Uh, different rules about getting in and, and, and taking out books or, or checking out books. Um, adventures, hmm. little adventure seeds and stuff. 26 new magic items, 34 new spells. Uh, vaults within the candle keep with magic books and tomes and grimoires. And it... 11 new monsters and NPCs. Nice. Is Neat. it fair to say that candle keep um, in recent years, hasn't gotten the love it deserves. I would say so. I mean, because it used to be like the re- it, uh, for different articles and stuff. It was it was the repository, the online repository for uh, knowledge there, the Candle Keep Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not really talked about as much as it used to be. Yeah, I would say not not much at all um, for for probably the last three or four years. Um, yeah. So I, I'm excited about anything that brings it back into the light. Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't so even know what it is. Here. Like, what is? Oh, Candlekeep is Faerun's largest library. Ooh, it is awesome. The library. It's a city. I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a walled city. It's a library. Nice. And, uh, That's super get, cool. Oh yeah, and to get in, you have to bring them a book they don't have. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. That's. That's that's interesting. That's really cool. Yeah, you have to bring them something that they don't have currently currently on their shelves. Now, how they know that? How they know that you brought them something they don't have? I don't know. Mm. Right. They have a very good Dewey Decibel system rocking, I guess. But, <laughs> or like, what if you bring an updated version? Does that count? Hey, you know what? <laughs> hey, I, they don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and plug something real quick here. Um, I won't take sure, too sure. much time, but you got me t- thinking about libraries, and um, that reminded me of a really good product on the DM Guild. And I'm going to plug a product that's very small. Um, this, I mean, uh, it's it's sold quite a bit. It's been on the uh, Guild for several years, but um, you don't know much. Of, you haven't heard much about it, and it's called the Library of Biblius. Um, it's a 60 page adventure that takes place in a library that is underground. Um, it's like a dungeon crawl. That is a library. Um, I ran this, um, years ago and it is top notch. It, it does have some balance issues, but it's nothing that you can't work out. There's a lot of fun NPCs in here. There's a really fun story. I think arguably this adventure, this, this DMs guild purchase was my best bang for the buck of any DMs Guild purchase I've made adventure wise. Um, and uh-huh. right now it's like two thirty nine. It's regularly three bucks. So 
it's an it's it's a no brainer sort of approaches. So that's a library of Biblius. Just a little shout out. <clears throat> awesome. Yep. And as as with most episodes, Zach, you cost me money. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and there's 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 all the way up to version three point one now, and I think I ran like a one point two or whatever. So it's constantly being revised. So it's probably more balanced now than what it was when I ran it. Uh, so anyhow, there you go. Okay, uh, that was our community pulse. Let's talk about DMs on DMing. This is our uh, main course entree, and we have a we have a meaty topic for you. Um, we we started. <laughs> some of us started this discussion off off offline off air and we we had to put the kibosh on it um I, at least i did because i'm like this is this is something that we need for the podcast and then lo and behold john threw it in the threw it in the mixer so <clears throat> john uh tell us what we're going to be talking about today so this was actually buried in a recent matt colville yep um a YouTube video that he put up. the The video was about solo adventures, which was great yes. for what it was. But something that he put in that he may have said at some point in the catalog of videos that he's done before. I don't think I recall him ever saying this specifically, but he has the four rather than the three pillars of uh, game session design, and they are very succinct. And I, I love them. One in particular was one that uh, just real quick. Can we can we do a statement on what Wizards uh, three pillars are real quick, just to kind yeah, of give it a yeah. comparison point? Yeah, go for it. Um, so Wizards has the three pillars of play or the three pillars of design, which are role play, exploration, and uh, combat. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I said those right, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And the the complaint, I don't know that we've had a complaint on here yet about that, but the complaint about that is that um, we don't feel like exploration really is something that is a that encompasses any substantial part of play um, in what we've got right now. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Well, and that's that's interesting because the two of the four the three pillars from uh, Wizards of the Coast are are mimicked or not mimicked, but mirrored in uh, Matt Colville's uh, design pillars. Uh, the two extras are this exposition and debate, right? Yeah. So of all four of those, we'll go through those one more time is exposition, role play, combat and debate. And yes. the one that, that uh, I thought was surprising that he put in, but makes complete and utter sense is the debate portion of it. Mm-hmm. Because the mm-hmm. the tactical analysis, the back and forth about what do we do next, is that is, that happened. That's like half of every session that I ah. that I run. Oh, yeah. It's the players trying to figure out what to do next. Where are we supposed to go? Who are we supposed to talk to? How should we handle this, that, or the other? And the debate isn't just between the players, but also between the players and the NPCs. About it's a dialogue between all of the parties to uh, to suss out what the story is going to look like and how it's going to end up unfolding. I thought it was pretty, a very brilliant and four legs is obviously more stable than three. I mean, come on, man. Come on now. And an exposition (laughs) is like, it's the no, it's the thing. It's the dirty little secret that wizards tries to sweep under the rug, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's their, their, their testing ground last year of removing box text, right? It's Uh, this idea mm -hmm. of like, well, the DM really shouldn't be talking. Um, or, or if they are, they should be in response to the players, not in any sort of like presentation aspect, which I don't buy at all. Um, uh-huh. exposition uh-huh. to me is a healthy part. Um, we had this discussion a little bit about, uh, bullet points versus paragraphs, right? Um, mm-hmm. bullet points are the answer when you hate exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, paragraphs are what you get when you have exposition, um, we need both. That's the real answer, right? But but both. but exposition. Without exposition, we lose a key part of storytelling, which is um, the 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 setup, right? Mm-hmm. The setup, and also that flourishing, flowery, however you want to say it, language that helps us feel like we're in the moment, right? Right. Uh, like yeah, not I, everybody I, I, can pull that off. Yeah. while they're running a game without an right. aid. Right. Yeah, I'm I am a 
huge advocate for gray box text. Uh, and I really missed it whenever they, when they pulled that. So uh, not only am I an advocate, but in everything that I've written, I write gray box text for myself. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm, I'm yep. running homebrew games from scratch, there are things that I, dialogues that I want that the, the villain to have, or whenever right. someone is, is asking for aid, there are things that I can't come up with off the cuff that I really want to get across that are really important in both mm-hmm. in dialogue and the, to your point too about setting the stage. You know, it's, sometimes it's easy for me to lose some of the details that were important in the set dressing that I want the, the players to be able to hear about in order to immerse them in it. And I think that the exposition is immersive rather than yeah. uh, pulling them out of the moment. I agree. Right, right. It's only it's only pulling you out of the moment when you're like already past the initial, oh, okay, that's what this looks and feels like, and you're wanting mm-hmm. to move forward and there's still more. But like, right, it's, like a cutscene. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, especially, like, side note, Discord stuff. Like, you can't, dm a game at all without without box text Mm. with with discord stuff like i know that's a side tangent but it's a tricky thing though because as i think about pulling some other rpgs into this discussion a lot of rpgs that i look over or read or play don't have box text they don't have like here's what you read um and there's not a there's not a there's not a section that's like, here's the exposition for this section of the story. Um, so it's not a necessary thing in every game. No. But but for some reason, I think because, if I was going to guess, it's because D&D is, an, is at its core and encounters epic level, epic feel thing. It needs that, it needs that uh, glorification of text. That, that that edification of description that um, and 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 we we want more about we want to feel something when we play this game instead of wanting to just try to fabricate that only in and ourselves uh, we want the game to almost help facilitate that for us before we even set foot in it mm-hmm. well it, it kind of it's there's a theatrical aspect to it. Yes. You know, yeah. like that it's the, um, it's the, the Viking scald telling the tale of the battle from the day pro- previous using flowery language and words that evoke emotional responses to draw those that are at the fire closer and to, uh, to add flourishes and to, like you said, to make it more epic, more grand and ode. Right, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's almost like a song that's being sung that we're all going to sing together. And now, now ga- gather close that you may hearken, kind of thing, right? So that's yep. the. I know, granted, that may be like an over, you know, an over dramatization of what it is, but it does. T- it definitely taps into that that element of the human experience of the gathering around a, a campfire and telling the story once upon a time is is the exposition and now we're going to get into the rest of the story but every once in a while you're going to have the meanwhile back in the wood you're going to have things <laughs> like that they're that going to end up coming up you know mm-hmm. 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 we've we've talked a lot about exposition um mainly because it's one of these pillars that we that 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 is a new addition by colville but 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 as a whole these four I think perfectly, in my opinion, they perfectly sum up a game of D&D. The ideal game of D&D has all four of these things in arguably in equal portions. Right. Or at least in mm-hmm. balanced mm-hmm. portions, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, whereas the other, I really felt like like investigation or, or whatever it was, um, exploration, like 10% maybe, maybe of a game session had anything to do with exploration. Um, and what I'll talk about, I guess a little bit, what the way I was thinking about this was from a game designer's perspective or from an adventure writer, right? Like when you're asked to write the three pillars of play versus writing these four pillars into your adventure, this feels a whole lot more natural keeping these four in mind. Whereas trying to think about how do I put exploration into this? Is that an investigation mm. check? What is that exactly? Right. <laughs> right. Like yeah. this, this feels, 
like, okay, I can keep in mind exposition. That's the box text. That's the helping the players know what the scene around them feels like. Um, it's the barks that the creatures are going to shout out during combat. It's the, mm. it's the monologue that the villain hopefully gets to at least say half of. Um, <laughs> but all these, you know, and then also putting in that room for debate. Debate, right? Is, is actually, it's that discussion, like you were saying, John, but it's also something else. It's choice mm, and yeah. path, right? If, if without choice, there's no debate. We just continue mm. down the path, right? In Monopoly, there's no debate because the path is around the board one way and everybody makes their own path. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in this, um, the reason that debate is in, has this much of a forefront is because choice is important. And, and the players getting to choose, have, needing to make decisions about not just like what sort of spells do we cast or who goes first or yada, yada, yada. It's also these choices of do we help the gnomes or do we help the elves? Do we rescue mm-hmm. the villager's son or do we rescue the king in the castle? These sorts of things that spark discussion are an integral part of the game. And why players are so resistant against the concept of railroading, right? Why railroading is such a bad word is right here because mm-hmm. there's no debate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's right. no debate. Well, I mean, and that's the that's the linchpin of D and D. Then, if you're gonna if you're put if you're if that's the the lens that you're looking at debate with, and I think you're right, is if it boils down to player choice and, D, and even DM choice, right? The, cho- the, the choices that we make in the game are limitless. And it is the thing that not just with D&D, but particularly in tabletop RPGs, that is a uh, it's a singular aspect about the game that separates it from everything else. The limitless number of possibilities. It's all up to what decision you want to make mm-hmm. into where you go next and how you handle mm-hmm. it. And because we're not playing WoW or something like that, where you can go off and have your own experience, because mm-hmm. we're all playing at the same table, and for most groups... What the group needs to decide how this story progresses forward, right? Because right. I can't sit down at a group and have you all four go different directions for an entire campaign. We might as well <laughs> all be playing on different nights at that point. Um, right. The debate aspect comes because we actually have to agree at least a modicum amount of the uh, about a modicum amount of this in order for us to progress the game, and therefore debate has to happen. True. But mm-hmm. this came from a, a video that was talking about one DM, one player. Yeah, and debate getting removed. Yeah, And debate right. is gone yeah. because, well, unless you're playing with me because I'll sit there and I'll, I'll argue with myself all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Or that, unless that, you include the choice aspect. Yeah. Right. I mean, but but even then, there's still no debate because it's just one player. So the, mm-hmm. the DM mm-hmm. can lay out three choices. Where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And, and unless unless they're playing, you know, unless you're using the sidekick rules, and even then, it's still just the DM and the player. And I would hope the DM wouldn't be role playing the sidekick to the point to drag the player <laughs> from where they wanted to go. Yeah. Well, seen it's interesting that you say that because that's actually part of what Colville said and he mentions in it is that the sidekick or the side NPC or auxiliary NPC that's there mm-hmm. uh, should not take over the player's choices and uh, uh, remove their agency. However, that it is okay to lead the player down a path that um, where the, the NPC will mention a thing that's kind of a poke and a prod in a direction – but the, ultimately, the player is the one that makes the decision, and that's what the uh-huh. the the uh, the NPC acts as either the carrot or the stick, right? In which direction right. sometimes they need to go to to make a yeah. decision. Yeah, exactly. And th- this actually comes out a lot in something I talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, with um, Sly Flourish and Newbie DM playing mm-hmm. through the Dragon of Icefire Peak. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the in the the sidekick Bing is. A lot of times the brains of the operation, but <laughs> but Barundar is still the 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 player character, right. and yeah, uh, Enrique Bertrand playing Barundar is you know what do you think, Bing? And Bing will give his answer, and 
all right, fine, Bing, let's do that. You know, it, it, <laughs> it's, it, if you haven't listened to it yet, I'm telling you, it's, it's freaking hilarious. Um, but yeah, uh, so, okay. I got my devil's, my devil's advocate horns on. I, I love, I lo- I'm going to get me a hat. So that way you guys know when it's coming. But then uh-huh. our, our listeners won't know. So that defeats uh. the whole purpose. So. Well, eventually maybe they will. Okay. That's and what positions for. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, you've, got, on you've got these four, these four pillars here from, from Matt Colville. And I do like them. But a lot of Adventurous League modules now have, uh, you know, in the corners of some of the choices, what pillar does this part of the adventure adhere to? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually you find it in epics when they have, here's three yeah. choices. You can go down this path, this path, or this path. And this path will be combat. This path will be exploration. And this path will be role-playing. Which one does the table want to do now you can't do that with these four pillars no you can't say well this adventure this path for the adventure is exposition so for the next 45 minutes i'm talking you know it, it just it doesn't work or debate you know you, you can't have a debate path either where it's just okay the group is not going to sit there and argue for the next 45 minutes. I don't know. I would be well, down for that. I'd be fine well, with that sort of a path. If we, okay. But a party of Zach and I did that for like yeah. hours one time. It was, <laughs> true, it was intense. True. <laughs> no, I, I see what you're saying, Troy. That's the, that's the benefit. But I noticed that what, um, uh, exploration never really gets used. Exploration is that weird combination of there's it's 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 just a, it's, to me it's just another way of role playing. Yeah, you're role playing, searching for something. You're not fighting a bunch of a bunch of bad bad guys. You're not having a a big encounter at the grand ball where you're trying to role play your way through it. You are in the dungeon, Indiana Jonesing your way over over pit traps and, and spikes and murder holes and throwing the bag of sand down to grab the idol before you get mashed by the big rolling yeah. boulder ball. That's it, fair. Does that deserve its own? Is, is that what we're going to call exploration? Cause if that's what it's exploration, I think there needs to be a different word for it. Maybe, I... maybe call it role-playing combat and skills. I would argue or something. I would argue that exploration also includes when people decide to like have a shopping day or decide to check out this area of the uh, library or city or um, you know or dungeon, but like any time that there's an environment that you're just kind of checking out, like when mm-hmm. your goal is either to when you're either when your goal is to get through that environment or if your goal is just to sit in that environment and look around, like, you know, immerse yourself in a world building kind of So maybe thing. like a like a like gathering information. Yeah. You're yeah. gathering information about this area. You're you're gathering information about the shops in the area. You're gathering you see, information at the library. I it's argue not, I, mean, I argue that that's exposition though. Because you look at the definition of exposition, a comprehensive description, an explanation of an idea or a theory. It's really about Mm – that is exploration, right? It's like I'm going – I want more information about the world around me. You could probably – maybe you can use them interchangeably, maybe not. I don't know that it's a more comprehensive overarching explanation that that exposition doesn't already take care of though, right? So exposition Hmm. is explaining what what is about to happen. It's giving – it is offering up the flavor – and you know, kind of the things that we've already talked about, but it's it is also it satisfies that it it scratches that itch, right? Of I want to know more about what's in the library. Give me some exposition about the library. Go ahead, you mm-hmm. got what you got, Troy. Uh, I, I I disagree. But to me, exposition is story driven. On the DM side of the table, mm-hmm. exploration is story driven. On the player side of the table, they yeah. are the ones. 
looking for stuff that the DM then ha- must exposit about. That's a good because they found it. See, that's a good call. I look. I look at Colville's though. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna plant my flag firmly in this soil. <laughs> um, exposition. I like your statement. Exposition is DM storytelling. Role playing is player storytelling. Combat is the meat of the of the adventure because of mm-hmm. the system that we're in. And debate mm-hmm. is the meta. Debate yeah. is the is the bird's eye view as players knowing that we're playing a game, right? Not invested in the story, but invested in playing the game. This is how we're what we're going to work on, right? Um, mm-hmm. So to me, like I can encompass exposition and anything the DM tells you that's story based. I can I can put shopping. I can put investigating for clues. I can put trap dealing with yada 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 in either role playing or depending on the level of trap, the complexity and the yada yada all of that. I can put it in combat or and or debate pretty easily. These aren't, you know, like obviously if if you got a trap filled room, there's going to be a ton of debate around the group about how how we get through that. And when we play the play it out, it's a different form of combat, right? It's us against the traps. It's we step here, then we step there, then we apply this skill. It's that in, if you swapped out the word combat with the word encounter, I feel like it works perfect. It makes sense. And I, th- and I think I like that too. I like that more, Zach, that exploration is a combination of role play and exposition. Mm-hmm. Right? That It's the give and take. Right? And yeah. now, granted, the DM can also role, is also responsible for role playing, but the, the contribution to exploration is role play from the, uh, from the player and then the byproduct and what the DM returns is exposition in return in response to it. Yeah, and and I guess I I'm feeling this encroaching on my mind. So for the viewer, I'll jump in here and say, why does this matter? Mm. Um, and I honestly don't know that it matters on the player side of thing. No, what how you how you apply these pillars doesn't really matter because the player is there to engage with with what's put before them. Um, and I really don't even think. A huge chunk of this matters to the DM. What it matters to is the creator. And sometimes the DM is the creator, so that's one and the same. Mm-hmm. But but when you're create when you're creating a product or you're creating a story that other people are gonna play or creating a story that you're gonna play, having these pillars of play in your mind helps facilitate a product that will actually be useful when 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 you sit down at the table. No, this right. is just this is right. role playing. This is tabletop RPG game theory. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it's it's the same the same kind of academic approach that's that's taken to to produce the the better game, right? Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately the goal is to make the better game, the better version of what you did a year ago. This is my the, my best game yet. As a result of the refinement, the research, the like almost like the the, the psychology of the game, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's like understand and it, that I and I would even argue that it's not just for create creating ahead of time and then pl- then putting it into action. It's on the fly recognition of what's going on right now. Oh, this is this is exposition that they're at. That this is what they're looking for. Oh, okay, I'm getting more of this from them that they want. Here's how I can respond to it. And it's there's a more calculated. And granted, it probably takes some of the romance out of it whenever you look at it like that. But almost like the artistry of this intangible thing that that we tap into the the energies of the universe well, to create something on the fly. Really well, the, 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 we're, we're in the we're in the ugly part of the sausage making right here. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. You, you know, gotta you gotta we, channel the intangible energies through something. Right. Yeah. Good grief! This is the wrench. Welcome to welcome to academia, folks. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, I that but I knew as soon as we started having our discussion on chat I'm like this is a good topic it's a different topic yeah. but it's 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 getting into the weeds of something that uh, it's good to think about every once in a while so mm-hmm. I agree I love it mm-hmm. yeah that was great okay yeah Whew. all right well again <laughs> where's our palate cleanser but we're gonna we're going to skip palate cleanser uh, just for, so you folks at home know we've got other plans for that maybe coming down the pipe, but we're moving on and we're going to go right from entrees to dessert. Uh, so these are the hidden gems, those tidbits that we fell in love with this week. Um, all four of us have one. 
Let's see. Um, let's go in alphabetical order. Oh my gosh, John, you have two. All right, I do. John, all right, give us give us what you got. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, well, I'll, I'll actually kind of go in reverse order of what I have down. Is uh, carpentry workshop art mm-hmm. uh, is a is an Etsy shop that my wife found because she's amazing and she's always looking for Father's Day gifts and birthday gifts and stuff like that. And I am super super picky. But I absolutely love this guy's work, or whoever, like guy, girl, whatever. Like I don't know who it is, but whoever they are, it's their stuff is fantastic. The one that I'm looking at in particular is a wooden. These are mugs, right? These are tankards, wooden tankards yeah, with metal interiors, and they are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, they're yeah. they are uh, some of them are hand etched. Uh, they <sighs> are. A little on the pricey side, you're looking at like 60 bucks for something you're going to drink out of. But this is a what I would refer to as a an heirloom piece. This is something I will <laughs> I'll pass on from, from one generation of dwarf to the next. And they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, it's so detailed. It is. It's it's, it's fantastic. So and the stain that he uses is great. I mean, it just, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, she again. I gotta give. I gotta give props to my wife. She's the one that one that found it. Uh, she haunts Et- Etsy way more than I do. Uh, they even mm-hmm. have a one with a D and D logo on it. That's that's really sweet too. So prancing pony. And Skyrim. All that stuff. I yep. I need that prancing pony mug. Um, <laughs> it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, the Green Dragon one is also. There's a lot of Lord of the Rings themed ones. A lot of Game of Thrones themed ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I. Oh my gosh. I. I didn't know how much I needed a very <laughs> official looking prancing pony mug until I saw oh, it. Yeah. Like, yeah, the I think <laughs> the thing that set, sets this apart is that all, I've looked at wooden mugs before and they look like they look cheap. They look manufactured, right? They look yeah, exactly. They look manufactured. They look very genericized. It's just like uh, easily reproducible, right? And yeah. they look and they a lot of them look the same. They're yeah. it's like the exact same mm-hmm. mug. This guy mm-hmm. took a lot of time to make this look, I mean, this he uses multiple uh, like different types of stain and different types of wood in it to where there's um, uh, kind of different textures and different colors and mm-hmm. that, that make it pop. So I mean, it's it's real, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that's happening. That's going to be the one I'm looking at right now is 22 ounce beer yeah. tankard, which yeah. is yeah. almost enough to fill my belly. Yeah. Almost. I'm going to have to go <laughs> all these two of those for mead. Yeah. Well, you got to uh. refill. Oh man! Yeah. Yes, please. Thank high you. High end, so good, awesome. Yeah. So that that was that, and like, like I said, kind of going to the back to the artistry aspect of it. So an immersion, right? Um, the other one that I had is more more technical. So I've been playing more and more online games, obviously. Okay. So this is kind of a follow up to the other discussions that we'd had before, and kind of uh, uh, how that's going and how that's coming along. Some of my players uh, that are that I run ga- uh, games for, they started giving me um, or gifting me uh, Roll20 gift certificates, right? So you can use them to buy books in Roll20 or you can up your subscription, stuff like that. And I got enough. uh, They're very generous, very nice. I love them. If if you're listening, thank you. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. And they, I upgraded from Roll20, like the, the, the intro purchase or subscription to the, the pro account. And nice. I probably spent at least a good two hours mm. um, playing around with the effects that are in it. Like you can create flaming effects where that will, if you click on the player token and then you stretch out a line, then up and then a, a gout of flame will animate uh, from it. Oh, and you wow. do different colors, fireballs, magic missiles, laser beams. I mean, it's it's just crazy, and that's just that one little thing right mm-hmm. there's uh, they what they do whenever you get to the pro account is they open up their api to all of this customization that you can do and uh zach has already commented on <laughs> the amount of work that i put in, into the games do you want to never just be worse do you want to never feel like you are worth anything online <laughs> ever again <laughs> sit down on one of john's games um because uh, he I was sitting there for four hours being like, wow, they really put a lot of heart and soul into this Tyranny of Dragons mod on Roll20. And then one of his players at the end was like, oh, it's really cool that you didn't even buy the mod. You just built all this yourself. And I was like, shut your mouth. Like, that is not what <laughs> Shut your dirty mouth. Yeah. <laughs> shut your mouth. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, no, it's amazing. Um, well, and the, the good thing is that the I, I this is not necessarily a, pl- a plug for the pro account. Uh, let me let me go on record as saying, if you can do with the free account and that's all you need, go for the free account. If you, yeah. if you need a, a lot of the, what the pro account also does is now my big thing is that whenever I purchase books on Roll Twenty. No, they're ninety nine point nine percent of the reason why I'm doing it is not for me. Yeah, I bought Player's Handbook, Warden Kanan's, Volo's Guide to Monsters, and Xanathar's Guide for my players, so that mm-hmm. whenever they log into my game and they create characters, they can I can share all of the access to my books to with them while we play. Uh, so that's um, that's cost that's not incurred to them. So my players don't have to worry about having a, a paid account as long as I'm maintaining my subscription, which was another reason why they all, they all threw in a, a couple, a couple bucks here and there. So that's awesome. Um, and so what happens with pro is you can have more players that can do it and you can have more games where you can tie it in like that. I think you can have up to five games at one time with 15 nice. players, which I'm not even there yet. Right. I've got to think about <laughs> 10, 10 is enough for now mm-hmm. with two different games. Um, but yeah. So if you've got the extra scratch, if you, if you're technically minded, if you're even like, I'm a programmer. So the API thing is really, really exciting for me, but uh, I can't <laughs> wait. I haven't really been able to dig into it nearly enough yet, but it's uh, I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. Awesome. Cool. I love to hear from someone who has bit the bullet and gone for the big, the big subscription. I like to hear back mm. from that. So cool. Yep. Um, I'm going to save uh, Troy's for last um, and let us close out with his tidbit. So I'll go ahead and say um, I uh, I'm going to hype Dale Kingsmill's channel. Um, I think we talked about her in an early early episode, perhaps. Uh, but Dale Kingsmill is the Monarch Factory. On YouTube, um, she is a Australian gal that uh, puts out content on mythology, and she does some YouTube TV series from time to time, and she puts out D&D videos. And all of her stuff is top-notch. She's very interesting. Um, but in recent weeks, she put out a video on the Pact Burner Warlock. The best way I can describe what she is building is an Oathbreaker Paladin where being an Oathbreaker actually matters. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, so the Pact Breaker or the Pact Burner is not a new subclass for Warlock. It's not a new Warlock patron. It's when you break off your agreement, when you when you void your contract with your patron, you you deviate, and instead of continuing on down the uh, the the path of abilities and gains of your patron, you now go into the Pact Breaker trail, hmm. and nice. your abilities change, and things about your past abilities get manipulated a little bit because now instead of being someone who's who is in the favor of a higher being, you are in the eye of retribution of that patron and you have stolen something of theirs but it is still yours you still keep it you they gifted you something and even though now it is more of a stealing and you have broken the agreement it's still yours and this dark power this this power of the universe is still growing within inside of you and um i love the idea of over templates I love the idea of of branches off when something goes wrong or when you choose a path that's contrary to your god or to your patron or to your oath as a paladin. Like, I think that's a really cool idea. I think that she's mm-hmm. got a really cool thing in the works and you can check the link in the notes and um, see how that's developing. And for me, at least, it sparked a lot of creative juices and not just for that warlock, but for a whole lot of things where we want consequences and player choice to have an effect. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Well, I will be Sweet. checking that out tonight. Then mm-hmm. um, I have a player, and in, in, it's, it's odd that you bring this up. Um, I've got got a player who is thinking about dipping into Warlock, mm-hmm. and you know we've had a discussion about that, and he's also brought up now. Uh, I believe it was also Matt Colville that talked about, you know how and we talked about it a few episodes ago where clerics and warlocks are kind of like yep. a strange class because 
hey, I picked the class and I get these powers and I have a I have a patron, but eh, I don't have to really do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And it makes it boring in the role play. And this particular player of mine has always said, you know, I've tried to play Warlocks before and there's never any play between the patron and the Warlock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, you know, you're right. And then Colville comes out with his thing. We have our discussion. It's like, so there needs to be something more to it. So, this is a yeah, good resource. I, this is so I'm definitely interested to to see what the she she goes into thoughts about yeah she goes into thoughts about what a patron's relationship with their warlock should be as well. So you're gonna get some juices there to kind of help you say. This is what this is what this should feel like. This is the sort because um, there's a big part of like the warlock is a really good storytelling device mm-hmm. because its whole job is you're literally making a deal with the devil that mm-hmm. at some point is going to come to bear. Yes. It's a wonderful uh, tool, dramatic tool that you now have in your tool belt. But how do we use it? properly so that our players like you said aren't frustrated by the lack of believability in the thing yeah so anyhow cool uh so yeah that'll be in the show notes and now troy uh round us out all right well uh not too long ago on dm's guild um uh, uh, something dropped that's kind of near and dear to uh most of us that do the al dming that you know with the eberron adventures going on um, and it is called Eberron Oracle of War Salvage Bases and Missions. Yes. And it, and it rounds out the, the, the town a little bit more of salvation. And it also opens up the ability for DMs at home to create a mission, a salvage mission, and release it on DMs Guild or whatever. And it counts towards your AL characters. It's AL legal. Oh, and you're, cool. you're gathering a new almost like currency called salvage and you bring it back to town and you can trade the salvage points to build a base Ooh. in the Mornland. Yeah. And it has all these cool things that you can add to it. And you know, it's, it's a re- it becomes like a resource management. You go out, you farm salvage, you bring it back and you make a, a stable or a alchemist, alchemist shop or whatever. Well, a, a few guys that we might know, um, thought it'd be kind of cool if we, if they expanded <laughs> salvation a bit, a bit more. Uh, and it's actually, uh, the thought came about before, uh, they knew anything about this, uh, salvage bases and missions. Uh, and I'm talking about a product that launched on DM's guild, uh, last week called Eberron salvation expanded. And this has several NPCs in it that, that, that brings a little bit extra life to the town of Salvation. Um, helps you kind of kind of fluff up your, your, your salvage missions a little bit. And for those of you that aren't playing these, uh, these adventures AL style, it, it gives you a system on how you can change the, the salvage into actual cash. Mm-hmm. So that you can take it, you know, mm-hmm. on other adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, you most definitely can use it with with the uh, the salvage bases bases and missions book. Um, but I would encourage anybody that's listening to go check out Salvation Expanded and uh, let those fine and extremely handsome gentlemen uh, know what you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, speak for yourselves. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll say it's a really good it's a really good book. We had a lot of fun with it. It's forty three yeah. pages. It's got a dozen NPCs. Um, mm. More than that because Troy went overboard. Um, uh, it's it's got a lot of uh, fun tables. The NPCs all have stat blocks, so you have twelve new um, creatures, so to speak. Um, there are quest hooks for all of the NPCs, so those are good plugs to help you know where to go on your salvage bases or salvage mm-hmm. missions. Um, and um, we've had a lot of fun developing it. All of us have different levels of experience with Eberron, but it was really fun to invest more into that setting and research and, and kind of uh, really dive deep into 
the lore of this world. Um, and I think it shows in the product. Um, and then I, I would just give a plug that there's probably one, two, or three more Eberron products by those same people on the guild right now. Um, so if you plug in our names, you're going to find a whole host of things in that way. Um, yes, indeed. So definitely check that out. Um, I think we've plugged the DMs Guild a lot in recent episodes, but it's because oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a great tool. It's one that we love using. It's one that we love the, the creators on. We love supporting, and we also like putting things on it. So um, you're doing yourself a disservice if you haven't checked it out in some form or fashion yet. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Very much so. Okay. I think that feels like a really good end. Um, I'll go ahead and say uh, definitely check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Um, like our video or like our pages there. That'll give you some updates when we post a new video or just the little little things throughout the day um, that we find interesting. Um and yeah, I think I think those are the two platforms. Definitely check us out. Coming soon to Origins Online, you'll get to play at one of our tables. That could be a really fun experience or a really bad experience. Um, but but at least it'll be an experience, right? It like depends on what happens. From one to ten. Yes, from one to ten. It's a unique experience. Yes. Yeah, it, dep- yes. it depends on what hat that uh, Troy's wearing at the time. If it's got horns, you can go ahead and just find another another online game to play in, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. No, if you know we now. have his devil's advocate horns on, you know it's That's time right. to run. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Okay, guys. Well, hey, uh, we'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Have a good night, everybody. Good night.